It's the second Timothy chapter two. When Sue and I were in Hawaii this summer, our hosts, Randy and Kazia, were busy on the first day that we were there with them. And so they gave us the keys to their car and said, entertain yourself. So we slept in and uh, then we went to the equivalent of Denny's in Hawaii. It's called Zippy's, I believe. And it's a chain of restaurants and... uh, you know, a lot of food like Denny's or, you know, would have, uh, you know, French fries and grilled things and whatnot. But also there are some unique things that, uh, that they have there in the morning, uh, rice with gravy on it with the eggs and the sausage or the whatever. And uh, so we had a good breakfast. Then we went over to that really Hawaiian place, uh, the most Hawaiian of all, Walmart. Picked up a few things that we'd forgotten to take with us. You know how that goes. And uh, while we were checking out, we're all, you know, hey, we're in Hawaii for the first time, you know, whatever. And, and uh, we're checking out, and this uh, gal who uh, looks uh, like uh, she's lived there all of her life, and we're talking about the first time we're in Hawaii, and she goes, oh, are you going to go to the flea market? I thought, yeah, that was right on the top of my list. <laughs> Swim in the ocean, go to the flea market. Yeah, that was right there. And we said, what flea market? So said, oh, it's a flea market down at the stadium. If you ever watch the, uh, is it the Hula Bowl, the football game that's played in Hawaii, the, at the University of Hawaii, wherever it is, they have a big football stadium there. And during certain days of the week, they have a flea market that goes all the way around the stadium. If you can, rem- if you can imagine, you know, if you ever remember the kingdom and how big that was in a flea market, and they said on the weekend it's two lanes wide all the way around that thing. And so uh, we said, uh, okay, and, and the place where Randy and Kazia lives is probably oh, a short half an hour drive from downtown Honolulu where, where that stadium is. And, of course, we'd never been there before. We just flew in and went to sleep last night. And so we said, well, what exit do we take from the freeway to get to this stadium? And she looked at me like, Mister, it's the stadium. In fact, she said, it's, it's the stadium. How can you miss it? You know, I said, okay. So here we go. We're driving down. There actually is a freeway in Hawaii, if you can imagine that. So we're driving down the freeway. And it turns out you can get the wrong exit, even if you see the stadium. <laughs> and you get to see that other little part of, of town right there. I'm glad that God is very explicit in his directions about the Christian life. He doesn't say, you know, it's over there, kind of up yonder, you'll figure it out. He doesn't do that. He says, look, here's what you need to do. And we're going to look at one of those verses that is so explicit this week that that ought to just really encourage us as we try to grow strong in the Lord. And there are three things here in 2 Timothy 2 that we're going to find out. Let's read 2 Timothy 2, and we're going to read verses 14 through 22. I'm only going to be considering verse 22 today, but I want you to get the context. 2 Timothy 2.14, Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words, to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. 
Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows who those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. The Apostle Paul says, Timothy, there are going to be people who teach false doctrine within the Christian church. And if you want to be a useful vessel to me, a useful tool to me, you have to separate yourself from those people who are teaching false doctrine. Now he goes on to one more thing Timothy has to do if he wants to be a useful vessel for God. Verse 22, flee also, in addition to staying away from heretics, Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. God is going to tell us three things in this verse. Run from the temptations of immaturity, run to the character of Christ, and run with like-minded people. The first thing is here, run from the temptations of immaturity. Look at verse 22 again, please, and notice the word lust. Flee also youthful lusts. We typically see the word lust and we think wickedness. Sometimes we think sexuality because it is connected with sexuality in the Bible so often. But the word just means a strong desire. A strong desire. And here, he connects it with youth. The strong desires of youth. And so we need to ask this question. What are the strong desires of youth or immaturity? Now, the reason I phrased the question that way is this. It's possible that when God wrote this, he was talking about young Christians. That we ought to, to run from the desires that a young Christian can have, the, the uh, desires that are tough. But I think... What he's talking about is Christian immaturity as illustrated by normal immaturity. What are the things that normal youth struggle with? The first one is this, the desire for immediate gratification. Think with me about babies. Uh, I have two lovely little grandbabies running around here. One of them is becoming a man very quickly. He's three years old and ready to play linebacker. But the other one is a delightful little girl. And uh, she has the most wonderful way to get held. And it's usually not exerted toward me, it's usually toward Mama, and she goes like this. And if Mama doesn't respond, she goes, ah! She never says, Oh, I can see you're busy. <laughs> Grandpa's good enough. Never does that. You ever seen a baby be patient? Wah, feed me. Wah, change me. Wah, play with me. Wah, I don't want to go to bed. Immediate gratification. That is a strong desire of youth. That's something that changes as a child grows. It should change. And parenting can help that change. But it needs to grow and into maturity, and we become patient. The Apostle Paul says, Timothy, you've got to run away from 
the youthful lust, and one of them is the strong desire for immediate gratification. Do you understand that much of what we call sin is born out of impatience? It's hard to wait until you're married. It's hard to wait. It's an impatience problem. It's hard to wait to have the first house. It's hard to wait to get the promotion. It's hard to wait. It's hard to wait. It's hard to wait. It's hard to wait wait for people to grow in the Lord. And the Apostle Paul says, Timothy... Youthful people, young people, immature people are characterized by impatience. He says, you need to run away from that desire of youth. The second desire that is a strong desire of youth or immaturity is the desire for ease. I remember when my son at about, I don't know how old he was, 18 or 19, I think it was after a year of college, I remember him coming home from work one night and saying something like this, Wow, I have to work 40 hours this week. (laughs) The younger in life or in the Lord that we are, the more we crave ease. We don't want homework from school. We don't want hard work on the job. We don't want challenges in doing the Lord's work. Paul said, Timothy... There's going to be a temptation to want ease. You've got to pull away from it. You've got to run the other direction. The third desire that is a lust or a strong desire of youth is the desire for approval. Listen to these uh, verses from Acts chapter 4. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. This was a time in the life of the church in which they were sharing their belongings quite freely. And uh, we're going to read two stories about that. One that I would call positive and one that I would call negative. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all who, who... For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed them to each one as any had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and he brought a certain part, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Now, you need to understand, if you're not familiar with the story, God didn't say everybody had to sell what they had and give it to the church to be distributed. He didn't say they had to do it. It was a voluntary thing. And so what it appears to me, and it's not an accident that one chapter follows the other in the Bible, that Barnabas did this thing. He, he sold a piece of property, and he said, he said, I sold it for 10000 Here's the 10000 Give it away as everybody has need. 
Ananias saw that, and, and I can imagine that he saw people saying, Oh, thank you, Barnabas, that's a wonderful thing. Maybe they got up and you know, said, uh, The Lord has blessed like I did today, and we didn't say anybody's name. Maybe they didn't say anybody's name, but Ananias thought, I'm going to get me some of that pat on the back. And so he sold his property for 20000 and he brought ten and said, Here, I sold some property. Here's the money. And right away, Peter said, why has Satan filled your heart to lie? And he goes on in this story to say, while the property was yours, you could do what you wanted with it. Well, why have you done this? There's only one reason somebody does that, folks. It's because they want everybody to think they're something. It is a desire for approval, a desire for recognition. One of the great desires of youth is to be recognized and approved by their peers. It's not a wicked thing when somebody pats you on the back and says, Good job. Nothing wrong with that. But if we live by that desire, we're going to be tempted to do some things like Ananias did, which was to lie in order to get the approval. If you live... For the approval of others, you are spiritually immature. And the solution is to run from that desire. 1 Timothy 3.6, in the qualifications of an elder, specifically says, Do not select a novice or a new Christian because he will be lifted up with pride and fall into the same condemnation as the devil. And what he says is this, if a young Christian is put into a position of leadership in the church, it's going to be real hard for him to say, you know what, I didn't have anything to do with this. This is all of the Lord. That's Christian humility. Christian humility recognizes that God did something in my life. God gave me a talent. God gave me a skill. God gave me a gift. That's why I'm here doing this. It's not because I'm something. And he says, don't, don't pick a man who's a new Christian to be an elder because he will fall into this temptation. It's the desire for approval and the pride that goes with it that we have to run away from. We're not to be driven by these desires. We are to flee. The word flee in this verse is where it's, a, it's the root word for the word fugitive in English. I have a friend who worked for the, the real Naval Criminal Investigative Service. And he did some work with the local police in Guam. And on a particular day, he said they arrived at the house of a, of a suspect that they intended to either take in for questioning or to arrest for a crime. And so they knocked on the door, and the suspect was there, and he answered the door. And the local police told him politely, because they looked at their clock and they realized it was quitting time. And they said, we'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock to arrest you. <laughs> no joke. And my friend says, we went back the next day and there he was. <laughs> this worked on the police chases I've been part of. I've sat in the car while they build the perimeter and send the dog out looking for a bad guy. And the bad guys always run away from where they think the cops are. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> no place to run, so you might as, well, might as well stay there. God says, 
run. Run from these desires. Don't try to handle them. Don't try to control them. He says, when you see those youthful desires creeping up, you're supposed to go the other direction. Leave them behind. Flee. Be a fugitive from them. And the solution, if you will, is not only to flee, but to run toward something. We need to run toward godly character. If you have a King James Version here in verse 22, it uses the word follow. Flee youthful lust, but follow righteousness. And the, word follow, the word that's most commonly translated follow in the New Testament is a word that actually means imitate. And this is a different word. And this word means pursue. And, and when you think of the word pursue as being different from follow, it's the right image. Instead of just me going, okay, I'm following along, it's me running after something. It's me pursuing. We need to run toward godly character. Godly character begins, first of all, according to this verse, with righteousness. Flee youthful lust, but pursue, number one, pursue righteousness. It seems kind of simplistic and kind of like, duh, to say, if you're going to be a good Christian, you've got to be righteous. And yet it does seem to escape some people. This is the critical foundation of the Christian life. We've got to be going after righteous behavior. Now, righteous behavior is clearly defined here. Um, there are the commands of God's word, and then there are the principles of God's word. And so when, we are, when we're saying, okay, I, I don't want to invest in those sinful desires, but I want to run from them, how do I do that? Well, I look in God's word and I choose righteous behaviors. But the word that I think is most important for us today is the word pursue. When I think of the word pursue, I think of a young man going after a girl to get married. How does he do it? Does he sit at home and go, well, I, I sure wish somebody would fix me up with that girl. No, he pursues. He calls, he emails, he, he, he visits, he dates, he does whatever he can. And, and boy, he puts on the charm, you know. He's not sitting here going, well, you know. I'll see what happens. No, he's pursuing. Are you pursuing righteousness? Or are you just a dabbler? Galatians, <coughs> Galatians 5 says this, Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another so that you cannot do the things you wish. He says, look, here's the flesh, there's the Spirit. He said, these two things are at war, and you need to walk this way. We've got to pursue. It's not good enough to just say, well, I'm committed to righteousness. We've got to pursue it. Romans 6.13, and do not present your members or the parts of your body, literally your hands, your feet, your eyes, your ears. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. What is your pursuit in regard to righteousness? 
Romans 13 takes it one step farther to the planning level. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no plans for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Do you know what that infers quite heavily? It infers quite heavily that if you're going to go this way, there has to be a plan. Okay? There has to be a plan. Okay, I I know I'm not supposed to live that way. How am I going to live this way? What do I need to do? What is my plan? What is my procedure? How am I going to do this? He says, don't make any plans for the flesh. Do make plans for righteousness. Godly living means to pursue righteousness. There's a second part of this formula, though, for godly living in our pursuit here, and it says this, godly living means commitment to what is right. Look at verse 22. Pursue righteousness, and then number two, pursue faith. could better be translated faithfulness. Pursue faithfulness. Could I put it this way? Faithfulness is doing right consistently. If you're like me, you enjoy coming to church. It feels good. Everybody's kind of happy, whatever, you know. But when you get outside, then you got some choices to make. There are times at work when it's easy to live for the Lord. There are times when it's hard to live for the Lord. And you have choices to make. The Apostle Paul says the mature Christian is pursuing faithfulness. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Now think about this. Um, We're studying this book in my small group, and so I went back to the book of Acts, and some things came alive to me that I hadn't thought about for a while. When the Apostle Paul went to Thessalonica, he preached the gospel, and some people got saved, and immediately there was an effort to get rid of him by people who hated him. And that kind of thing went on and on, and here he says, Before we came to you, we were treated bad at Philippi, but we came to you and we spoke the word of God boldly to you. How much hardship does it take for you to draw back into your Christian shell and say, I am just going to do whatever feels good today. You know, I got out there and somebody hurt me. Somebody stopped me, somebody criticized me, and I'm not going to do that anymore. The Apostle Paul said, we were treated terribly. And you know, we, we, we look at the physical things that the Apostle Paul went through, and they were bad. You know, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, all kinds of things. But you've got to remember, he was severely criticized by people in the church and out of the church. And, and people made fun of him and so on. And he was a highly educated guy, a, a, a man with great standing in the community before he converted to Christ. And people just ridiculed him and treated him terribly. He said, he, we suffered. That's probably a reference to the physical part. And then we were spitefully treated. He, but it didn't stop him. 
The Apostle Paul was not dissuaded by persecution. What's going to happen when you invite somebody to this UFO outreach or to this parking lot party? You're going to have to stick your head up above water, and they're going to know you're a churchgoer, a Baptist no less. Oh, my. Is, that, is, the, is the fear of that going to stop you? Is the actuality of that going to stop you from further ministry? Godly living means commitment to what was right. The Apostle Paul was not diverted by a desire for approval. 1 Thessalonians 2.4 But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but pleasing God who tests our heart. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. The Apostle Paul was not diverted by a desire for the approval of other people. He did what was right consistently. Thirdly, the Apostle Paul wasn't discouraged by hardship. 1 Thessalonians 2.9, For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preached to you the gospel of God. I, I don't know if you remember or if you heard or if he said it here while he was speaking. Ryan Frank, the home missionary pastor who was here a couple of weeks ago, He's, he's a pastor of a church trying to get it started, trying to get it going, and he drives a school bus full-time to help support his family because the church can't support him all the way. And he's been doing that for, for several years. He's been at the church five years. I don't know how long he's been driving a bus. Not dissuaded in the least by that from serving the Lord. The Apostle Paul was not discouraged by hardship. We had a, a woman in one of our previous churches who if, if she saw the weather report on Wednesday night that said it's possible it's going to snow this weekend, she would call me on Thursday and say, I'm not going to be in church on Sunday because it's going to be snowing. Okay. Now, this was a woman who was in church all the time. She wasn't a fringe person. She was part of the mainstream of the church. But when she saw the snow might be a possibility, she said, I'm not going to church. And she wouldn't come, whether it snowed or not. Okay. I understand when people don't come to church because of snow, by the way. I, I fully understand that. The question is, how far off do you see something and it makes you say, not going to do that, boy, I'm going the other way, because there is a little difficulty out there. <sighs> difficulty with people, difficulty with persecution, whatever it might be. Faithfulness is doing right no matter the challenge. And so the question again is, are you pursuing faithfulness? Not just is it a good idea, but are you pursuing, are you running after? Letter C, godly character means putting others first. Again in verse 22, pursue righteousness, faithfulness, Love. When the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13, what we call the love chapter, his primary message, the reason he wrote it, was that the, he wanted to tell those Corinthians, look, you folks are acting in selfishness at your church especially, 
And he said the mature person is one who is not self-centered, who is not proud, who is not arrogant. 1 Corinthians 13.11 says, When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, when I became mature, I put away childish things. Love is a mature thing, and love means putting others first. Again, we understand what Christian love is, but the thing that we need to ask ourselves today, are we pursuing it? One of the worst examples I've ever seen of of the lack of Christian love, and I know that's a double negative, I can't quite find a way to say it, but I knew a man who was a pastor, and in the course of time his wife died, and a woman who was married to a pastor, and in the course of time her husband died, and the two of them got married. And they were in retirement years when they got married, that second marriage. And everybody thought, well, this is just the greatest thing. Because they've kind of traveled in the same circles. They already knew each other. Boy, this is going to be great. It was the marriage from hell. Until one of them died. And do you know why? Now, I'm not, I'm not approving of this, but I'm going to tell you what people said. People put it this way. They were both the takers in their marriages. Now, there's two things wrong there, folks. Number one, nobody should be a taker in a marriage. If there's a taker and a giver in your marriage, the giver needs to do some confronting and the taker needs to do some confessing. Back in those old days, maybe there wasn't so much of that going on. That is the confronting and confessing. Be that as it may, let's say you make it all the way through that first marriage and now you come into the second marriage and boy, something is not working. It's still time to confront and confess. Because if not, you are not pursuing love. The question is not, do you think love's a good idea? The question is, are you running after it? Which means you're working at it. And which also means you're letting go of your pride. And laying down your life and picking up the life of Christ. The fourth thing on this list that we're supposed to pursue is peace. Pursue righteousness, faithfulness, love, peace. Let's look at a couple of other commands that parallel this. If, if possible, as much as depends on you, live at peace with all men. Obviously what this verse is alluding to is the fact that you may try to live at peace and other people may not want any part of it. That's their problem, that's their business. But it's your job to live at peace. Pursue, pursue peace with all people. Even the people that are on the other side of the aisle politically. Even the people whose lifestyles are so different from yours and you think they're really messed up. Even the people in church who maybe haven't treated you quite right. Pursue peace with all people and holiness Get this, without which no one will see the Lord. Do you understand that what he is putting on those character phrases is this? 
It's not a way to earn your salvation, but if you truly are a believer, peace will be part of your character in Christ. And if it is completely absent, one ought to question whether or not they have actually believed in Christ. Ephesians 4 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering or patience, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's a synonym for pursuing, working at the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Peace doesn't happen by accident. It requires pursuit. The third thing that we've got to understand from this passage today is this. We need to run with like-minded people. Look at that verse again, please. Flee youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faithfulness, love, peace with, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Throughout this passage, the Apostle Paul is saying, Timothy, there are heretics out there. There are false teachers. There are people who, who, who malign the truth and want to get you to believe it. He said, don't hang with those people. But stick with the people who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. One of the things that we've got to understand as we grow up in Christ is this. You will only succeed in running from sin and to godliness if your companions on the track are also running toward Christ. In the Corinthian church... They had a man who was living in sexual sin, and he refused to repent of his sin, and the church knew about it. Now, from that passage, we would gather it was either, it was either incest or a man having relations with his father's, say, second wife. So call it adultery, call it incest, whatever you want to call it. It was, it was extremely repugnant, and the church knew about it, and they just said, Hi, brother, how you doing every week? And listen to what the Apostle Paul said. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Now, some of you aren't bakers. The word leaven is equivalent to yeast. And you, you takes, if you're going to make bread, you take some flour and some water, maybe a little sugar, a little salt, maybe a little oil or a little egg, depending on what kind of bread you're going to make, and you throw that yeast in there, a little, little dab of yeast, teaspoon or so, whatever it is, not very much, but it gets in there and it, it makes it raise up. Okay. God says, if you allow sinful people to be close influencers in your life, that that leaven will leaven you. You will not change it. Now, I understand uh, we're supposed to connect with unbelievers. We're supposed to love immature people to Christ. But somehow we have to say, wait a minute, who are the people who really influence my life? And if, I'm, if my prime influencer, if, my, if I use the term best friend and it's on an unbeliever, I have to know that that person is not going to help me live 
in the love and faithfulness and peace and righteousness of Christ. Oh, sure, they're going to tell you to be nice according to a worldly formula. But they are not going to applaud. They are not going to applaud when you say, you know, it was really hard to do this, but I've let go and I'm moving toward Christ. They aren't going to go, good for you, live for Jesus. They're going to go, whatever. Can we just go to coffee now? We've got to really think about who are the people. That's what church is supposed to be about. You're supposed to come here, and we're supposed to be encouraging each other in the things of the Lord. You should feel free to share your questions and your concerns and your problems. Obviously, there's got to be some getting acquainted and some getting comfortable, but you need to be able to say, you know, I'm struggling with this. And there, there ought to be, when you say that, there ought to be a godly response that says, well, Here's one way you could do it. I know the Lord helped me this way, that way. That's what it means to to run this race with people who call on the Lord. Proverbs 13.20 says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Numbers of times throughout Scripture, God just says, basically, who you hang around with is going to have a big impact on you. If you're hanging around with heretics or unbelievers, or sinful Christians, you will be pulled away from walking with Christ. They will not applaud your steps of righteousness. Have you noticed any political ads on TV? When you think of the word pursue, you might think of these folks pursuing a position. Uh, The president is pursuing keeping the Democratic majority. And so he's made two trips to the lowly state of Washington to try to make that happen. He is pursuing with others. and They are pursuing together. They spend enormous amounts of money. They spend all of their time. And they fill your airwaves and mailbox and telephone if they can get away with it pushing you, pushing you, pushing you, vote this way, vote that way. They are pursuing. And all for something temporal, temporary. God help us, the next time we see one of those commercials, to think, am I pursuing Christ like they're pursuing office? Help. Heavenly Father, help us. Mm, we love to live in our ease It's hard for us to just really lay down our own desires and pursue yours, but we want to. Help us to let go of those immature desires and chase after godly character with those who call on your name. Father, may this church be a place where people call on your name and where they encourage their brothers and sisters to walk with you. I pray in Christ's name, amen.